Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to read to you a few scriptures, amen, that I wrote down this morning. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. He shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of God bless it, God bless it, or grace to it, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hand shall also finish it. Then you will know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things for these seven, which he described in the first part of the chapter, rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. The emphasis I want you to make in this passage is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And I want to read to you some other scriptures here. For I determined not to know anything among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. The power he's speaking of is the power of the spirit here. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's why he said that he determined to know nothing among them except Christ Jesus and him crucified. That had to precede him coming by God's spirit and God's power so that their faith wouldn't stand in human flesh in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And then in 2 Corinthians, toward the end of 2 Corinthians, he says, for though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak, in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. You're supposed to test yourself to see whether you be in the faith. And if you pass the test, you know that Christ Jesus is in you. That's how you know whether you pass the test or not, if Christ Jesus is in you. If Christ Jesus isn't in you, then you haven't passed the test of whether you're in the faith or not. You've failed the test. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved. Once again, there's... There's a context of conflict here. And what he's praying is that in the context of the conflict, not that we appear approved, but that we don't weaken and do evil. Not that we should be, appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. Amen, he's just said, I trust that I'm not disqualified, but if we seem to be disqualified, that you, would do what is honorable, though we should seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be complete. Thank you, Jesus. Then I'm going to read to you from the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. For who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? 
You're already full. You're already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish that you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us last as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat and exhort and encourage. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to follow me. Then in Romans, the fourth chapter, what then shall we say that Abraham our father, that he is found, Abraham our forefather according to the flesh is found. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness or for righteousness. Amen, that's the same as, as Romans 6 and 11, where it says, likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead to sin. It's the same word in the Greek. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or reckoned to him as righteousness or for righteousness. Get that what he's saying there. His faith, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. It doesn't say the righteousness of Christ is credited to him because of his faith. Read it in any translation and see what it says. It says his faith was credited or reckoned or accounted to him for righteousness. I'm not necessarily denying the other except in a certain context. But I want you to see what the scripture actually does say. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, same as 611 where it says reckoned dead to sin, but as a debt. Now what he's speaking about here, as we're going to see in the rest of this passage of scripture, and in one more that I'm going to read to you, is that it is Abraham's ongoing relationship with God in obedience to what God is telling him to do that the Bible is viewing as faith. It's his covenant relationship with God that continues moving on in spite of every setback, everything that seems to go wrong, every hindrance, every obstacle, every failure, every sin, every mistake, it keeps on pressing on. And that ongoing relationship is what the Bible is calling faith. And the context is gonna make it clear that he's not talking about going through a ritual like circumcision, a work of the flesh, but living in the kind of relationship with God that he is going to be able to do the works that God has appointed for him to do, as Paul said in Ephesians. Because he has faith in God. And in spite of everything, no matter what God tells him to do, no matter what happens in the surrounding circumstances or the enemies that come against him or the problems or the needs or his own impotence or inability, his weakness, to accomplish what God says, he's gonna keep on keeping on in that relationship, doing everything he can to obey God. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace. Amen, and how does grace come? 
but through relationship with God, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and he gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. It takes a relationship with God for grace to keep coming to us. But works are just doing things or believing things where we don't have to have a relationship with God. We just get circumcised and that takes care of it. We just get baptized and that takes care of it. We just believe a certain creedal statement and profess him and that takes care of everything. That's works. It separates us from God and everything God's trying to do is bring us back into relationship for this is eternal life to know the only true God and the one Jesus Christ whom he has sent. To know them, gnosko, the same Greek word that speaks of a relationship between a man and a woman. It's not doing some little something or saying some little something or professing some little something and then hanging up your religion on the hook and go about as you please, amen. As a contemporary, very prominent and popular conservative columnist and speaker and writer and so on and so forth, she was doing a program down at the University of Texas and a young conservative woman stood up in, in the audience and said, she wasn't trying to condemn her or anything, but. Couldn't you just be a little nicer? Do you have to exchange sputum for sputum? And she tousled her long blonde hair and said, well, this is the way it is. I've accepted Christ as my personal savior and he now takes care of everything for me and nothing else matters that I do. It has incredible repercussions for the witness of Christ in the world. That's works. I did something and now nothing matters. Faith is coming into oneness, relationship, a loving covenantal relationship with God and being led by the Spirit, amen. To do those works that he ordained for us to complete from the foundation of the world. Oh, no man anything but this to love one another. That is what God is seeking. That is the great commandment, to love the Lord your God. And it wasn't just the great commandment for Moses. In Mark 12, Jesus said, it's still the greatest. God is one and you should love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. And everything is fulfilled in this. God is seeking a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. This is what God is longing for. A people who will enter into relationship with him and obey him as they walk in the spirit. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, here it is again. His faith is accounted for righteousness. You see what it is not saying? It does not say, I had a punctiliar point in time where I believed in Jesus and God credited all of Christ's righteousness to me because I did that. Now listen to what it says, what it shows his faith to be as we proceed. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness, credits righteousness, apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Now, how does the song go? Happy is the man whose sins freely are forgiven, whose innocence has been declared by the Lord of heaven. That's not what it says. That's the forensic declaration of righteousness. It does not say that. It said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds or sins, we'll accept that, are forgiven. Yes, happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. It does not say the man the Lord declares innocent. Let's read the original. I'm not denying that. I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm just looking at the passage of scripture that's turned to all the time. 
I'm not denying it in the proper context. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That sin has got to be covered. And what does it have to be covered by? The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute or charge to his account or charge his account with iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit or nothing false. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. There's no deceit in this man because he has not kept silent. There's not something hidden inside of him. Something false. Doesn't say, go ahead and just profess Jesus and say you believe. And keep all of this sin deceitfully in your heart and in your life. Amen. But don't confess it. Amen. But that's all right. The Lord's going to declare you innocent from heaven. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. There's something a little more involved in exactly how this transgression is forgiven. And the Lord does not impute sin because sin has been covered. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Let's put it in the context of the fullness of what God is saying. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. For this cause, acknowledgement, confession, so that we can be forgiven and our sins not imputed to us. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. It's the same chapter proceeding to tell us how we become blessed by being forgiven and so that our sins are covered and will not be imputed to us by the Lord. In a time when you may be found, for surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. It says Selah, so it's the end and the Lord is now speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Amen. It's a process. It's a walk. It's an unfolding relationship of obedience to the Lord. Do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding which must be harnessed with bit and bridle else they will not come near you. He's longing for the relationship. He's calling them to a new relationship of suppleness to the Lord, of unfolding understanding and knowledge. This is the unfolding of what the psalmist said would bring the blessedness of forgiven sins, covered sins, of sins that the Lord does not impute. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he entrusts in the Lord. Mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Do you see the process that the Lord took them through to bring them to that place? Let's read on. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. That's the third time he said it, isn't it? Doesn't say righteousness was accounted to Abraham because of faith, but faith was accounted to him as righteousness. This unfolding relationship of obedience to God. I don't speak this because I've thought this out. If the Holy Spirit isn't bearing witness to what I say, then reject it. But is God speaking this? Is this the truth that's in his word? How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. It's speaking of a work again. Do this, say this, profess this, 
and everything is taken care of. You're part of the elite. Amen. No. Amen. He's saying. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those, he's talking about the same people. And I said, I'm not saying righteousness isn't imputed, but faith is counted for righteousness. Now listen to this next verse. He's talking about the same people. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Do you see what he's talking about as faith? It's not something punctilier. It's a walk. And it's a walk in spite of everything that comes against us. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Don't you remember from the 11th chapter of Hebrews how it spoke of the righteousness of faith when it talked about Noah building an ark? It was an act of obedience, of doing things in direct relationship, not just doing things disconnected from God so we could get it this God business and religious business over with and we're gonna be okay from now on forever. Let's get God out of the way so I can be Mr. Big Shot again. I can run my own life, think my own thoughts, live in unconsciousness and unawareness of the presence of God in my life. That's not what God is calling you to. He's calling you to the pledge of a good conscience, consciousness with him in relationship. You're devoting yourself, you're pledging yourself into a new level of relationship with God. You're not supposed to be your own, you've been bought with a price. It's not your own mind, it's not your own thoughts, it's not your own ambitions, it's not your own desires, it's not anything of your own. Old things are passed away and all things are made new. You are to be new creations in Christ. And the purpose of the context of Christ's body on earth is to facilitate and bring to pass that new creation in your life. Teaching them to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded. Not abstractly, not divorced from relationship, but in the relationship with God, in the spirit. Amen. Not impersonally, but with the greatest personableness of the spirit possible in our lives. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect. If all you have to do is obey some impersonal abstract something that's your duty to do, and then it's God's duty to say, well, he did profess me back there, or he did get baptized back there, or whatever the case may be, circumcised, or whatever the case may be, so I'm duty-bound to save him now, no matter what. He once believed, and so now he's forever saved, even if he blasphemes me, murders, is a pederast, a sodomist, doesn't matter, once saved, always saved because he did his duty and now I'm duty bound to save him. He's called us into a relationship that's going to unfold throughout all eternity. Unfold to heights as high as the most high. To depths as deep as the heart of God. So how long is that going to take? Not to some punctiliar something that allows us to hang God up on the rack and then live our filthy lives on earth, justifying ourselves and condemning everything that's righteous. If that's what saves you, the promise is of no effect. And what was the promise? The promise of the Holy Spirit. Paul spoke about it in Galatians. 
Jesus spoke about it through the words Luke recorded in the 24th chapter. Tarry in Jerusalem until you receive this promise from on high. Amen. He spoke about it again. Luke wrote about it in the first chapter of Acts. Tarry until you've received the promise from the Father. And then when they received it, Peter stood up and said, Repent and be baptized. Acknowledge, confess, forsake your sins. And be baptized, every one of you. Amen. Get those sins covered that you've forsaken and confessed and acknowledged. Amen. Then you shall receive a gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all those afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. Save yourself from this wicked and untoward generation. Amen. And that was the beginning. That's the birth of an unfolding walk of faith. And El Shaddai, the God of blessings, is going to take you all the way in to the fullness of the God who reveals himself as Yahweh. So if that other is, it makes the promise of none effect. And that's exactly what it's done, hasn't it? Amen. They have made the promise of none effect. What does it mean, even in evangelical Christianity across the board, to really receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Half of them say it's of the devil. Something that's described right here in the birth of the church. They made the promise of God of none effect. Oh, listen to how he's ranting and raiding. Yes, a fool for Christ. And God help me to always be. Now listen to what he says on beyond here. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed. He wants it to be sure. Amen. He wants it to be certain that every one of you get the promise. Not only to those who are of the law. Promise to them too though. Not only, but it's to them. But also to those who have the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all through the promise. As it is written, I've made you the father, a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed in the presence of him who he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope, amen, contrary to hope, here it is, you see, what this faith was, amen. Contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants, those who receive the promise, be. Amen. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. How can the promise come forth? He tried Eliezer, then he tried Ishmael. That came forth from his own body. God rejected all of it. He said, let Ishmael be as my, my, my heir before you. And he said, no, I shall return. Born not of the flesh, remember what Paul said in Galatians, but born of the spirit, the child of the promise. Thank you, Jesus. I shall return and Sarah shall have a son. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, born not of the will of the flesh or the will of man, amen, but born of God. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, amen. So what if it looks like we're dead? So what, what, what appearances may be? There was nothing in his appearance that any should desire him. Amen. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. One from whom we hid our faces. Amen. Amen. Despised, afflicted. 
But what difference does appearance make? It's the promise of God that makes the difference. Amen. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, although already dead, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. Amen. Giving glory to God. Amen. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Amen. Therefore, it was accounted to him as righteousness. How many times is that now, you see? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. How many times has he said it? And now we know what was accounted as righteousness, what was considered faith. Amen. Amen. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. It's the resurrection power of the Spirit. Amen who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised for our justification, justified by faith. But it was his resurrection. That's why Paul said justified by the Spirit. It's that ongoing walk of relationship with God. And it doesn't stop there. We put a chapter heading, but the next word is therefore. There were no chapter headings there. We put those in. Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope, and that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that was given us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Let's don't preach a tenth of the gospel and make it no gospel at all that makes a none effect the promise. Let's put the whole thing in the whole context. Amen. And the very next chapter talks about being baptized into his death. Let's put the whole thing in the whole context. Now one more passage of scripture here. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Hebrews 11, faith verse. When he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise. That's where it was first poured out. As in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What was he doing out there? Wanted a piece of land to plant a garden? No, he was looking for the city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Amen. If she didn't have faith, she wouldn't have received strength to conceive, even conceive of the seed. But because she had faith, amen, Amen. Something, a little something was conceived. A little seed, amen. And it gave birth to the promise, amen. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, they're dead. They're falling to pieces, amen. It isn't going to last, amen. Amen. Maybe we'll be even buried three days. Amen. But it won't matter. Amen. Because you can do nothing against the truth. Amen. And it is going to rise again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith not having received the promise, but having seen them from afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an occasion or opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, the child of the promise. Everything was supposed to come through this, you see. Everything. And yet he took him and offered him up on the altar to God. And he who, who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Everything he'd worked for, everything he'd strive for, everything he'd suffered to bring to pass. And he took it and he put it on the altar. He offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Concluding, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac then blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And in those contexts, it didn't look so good that things should come. But by faith, he blessed him anyway. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, you'd think you'd be consumed well, what's happening to you when you're dying, wouldn't you? This is the end, not the beginning or not the next step in the continuity of something bigger than any one of us. But by faith, you see, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones hundreds of years away. Didn't look at his place as the great one of Egypt, which he was, amen. Or the deliverance that God had brought through him in Egypt or the wonderful land of Goshen, amen. But was thinking way down the road ahead, you see. And even though he was dying, amen, he gave instructions he made mention of the departure. The promise was still in his heart and in his mind, you see. So he made mention of the departure from all of this good stuff that seemed so wonderful in Egypt. You're going to be leaving this someday. It's hundreds of years down the road. But please, when you do, don't forget my bones. Amen. Just let my bones be a part of this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden. Why did they do that? Because it said down there, there was a punctiliar moment when you should hide every child in Israel. Amen. And then if you did that, you'd be saved. Amen. Or he would. No, there was something inside. More than a mental ascent. Something inside. Driving and compelling. Amen. Three months was hidden three months by his parents. What would have been their fate if they hadn't done that? Amen. What would have been the fate of Israel if they hadn't done that? And they did it by faith. It was a risk. There was a danger. There was a price to be paid. It wasn't bargain basement special faith or grace. It was the pearl of great price, faith and grace. High demand religion because they saw he was a comely child and they were not afraid of the king's command by faith Moses when he became of age 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked for his reward. Amen. He too, you see, was looking down the road. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled seven days. And now, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to speak of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection, not just like Lazarus, but to an indestructible life. Tortured and did not accept that other kind of deliverance so that they could attain to a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. And yes, and chains and a imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, he says it again, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility, from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. For you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the word of exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Thank you, Jesus. I feel his promise moving upon us like the mighty rushing wind. That Holy Ghost has power burning like a fire. His promises upon us. 
once again Oh, I feel His promise Moving upon us Like a mighty rushing wind The Holy Ghost has
find me and I'm going to a 